0: This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Hour 2 of Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Coming up in just a moment or two... William Tam of Manning Elliott, a full-service accounting and business valuation company, on what businesses can do right now to help their businesses survive and recover. But first, a couple of news items that caught our interest here at Vancouver Consumer. No doubt your workplace has changed dramatically, but as more businesses and offices reopen, what is the future of work? How about a four-day work week? Sounds pretty good until you roll back the layers of the onion. This week, a research company called the Fraser Institute looked at what it would take to get to a four-day work week by the year 2030. And the answer is simple. You're just going to have to work a lot harder and be a lot more productive in less time. The report suggests if we can increase productivity 2% per year over the next 10 years, then the four-day week is possible bc premier horgan when asked if he supports the notion said everything is on the table for discussion halloween fireworks in vancouver will be off the table after this year city council sure to pass a new bylaw prohibiting the sale and or use of fireworks by the general public and back it up with a one thousand dollar fine over the years complaints that neighborhood fireworks damaged property and frightened domestic animals fueled the debate. One thing, Vancouver City Council fast-tracked the permit process for restaurants and bars and breweries that need to expand their patios if they're to recover their losses over the last few months. Council has waived the permit fee, which can run as high as 3000 a year, and promised a two-day application process. More than 45 applications have been or will be approved. Dr. Bonnie Henry broke down some figures for us this week of the 2,500 COVID cases in BC so far. Women accounted for 52 percent, but men appear to be taking the bigger hit. Men represented 60 percent of the people in hospital, and almost two-thirds of those men in hospital had been admitted to intensive care. 61 percent of the people who died from virus were men. Dr. Henry said similar figures have been seen around the world that even though women are just as likely or even more likely to develop COVID, men are likely to have a more severe Illness. More than half the diagnosed cases have been in people aged 30 to 60, but the death rate spiked dramatically in much older demographics. As to the sources of the virus, almost certainly the first case came from Wuhan, followed closely by cases in Iran. Then came a wave of infections in Washington state, way too close to home, which is one of the reasons the province is keeping our usually busy border with Washington closed. And the iconic Army-Navy store in New West opened its doors on Thursday for the final time. The 101-year-old retailer is closing permanently, and they had their big blowout sale this week. The downtown store was the oldest retailer in Gastown. It's been designated a heritage building. Army-Navy was a family business to the last day, and while the pandemic has hit businesses hard and forced a change in how they operate, what does it mean for the little guys? Welcoming William Tam, a principal with Manning Elliott. First-time appearance on Vancouver Consumer William. Welcome. Thank you, Manny, and Thank you for inviting me to your show. We've got a lot to talk about with the pandemic, I guess, slowly subsiding. You folks with your accounting and valuation firm have been very, very busy, and we're going to get to some of the highlights and the benefits of using Manning Elliott. What have you seen recently in your office concerning businesses and the pandemic, William? Is there a general overview with how you are helping your clients? So far
1: in... And I speak for most businesses, but not all, but a lot of businesses have been negatively impacted by the pandemic. And so far, ranging from consulting, accounting, and tax advice, what we generally do see is a general decline in, say, business operations, be it arising from clients having to shut their doors due to the lockdown. And for those circumstances, it's really advising what steps could be taken to mitigate the continuous cash depreciation in their bank accounts, in essence, and really planning ahead to really, A, recover, first up being surviving, and then recover, up to hopefully when this pandemic sort of blows over or we have a vaccine for it, really to restart up operations again.
0: Well, give us an example, if you have one off the top of your head, of how, if I come to you at Manning Elliott and I'm a small business person and I I'm really suffering. My doors have been closed and my revenues are way down. Is there a singular piece of advice you would give me as a small business person?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, every business is unique in the sense that operations are typically not generally a one size fits all, but typically we have a saying that cash is always king. So in essence, I recommend for most business owners that they keep a very close eye on a their cash balance and overall their cash flows notwithstanding the fact say they had to shut their doors presumably their cash flows would be either zero or very nominal so essence in essence the second thing to review is really controlling their costs whereas when our economy was doing great even and it wasn't that long ago but when the economy was great there might have been Certain discretionary expenses that business owners could afford to A, either grow or expand their business. But being that the overall global economy has since contracted, there are certain costs that, upon review, we may be able to point out certain costs that we may ask whether they are necessarily required for your day-to-day operations. And those are the costs that one might target to either mitigate for the time being or cut out for the time being.
0: Well, give us an example. Uh, maybe your hydro will go down, your light bill will go down. Uh, with government help, you might get a break from your landlord. What are what are some of the hard costs that you would advise clients through Manning Elliott uh, to look at and uh, try to control?
1: I mean, even for ourselves, utilities—they're pretty much if you don't have a store open. Presumably, they would be nominal, and most business owners unfortunately have resolved or resorted to, say, temporarily laying off staff to really control their costs. So that's one example that typically most businesses go through in order to save costs and really preserve their cash flows. Other areas, I mean, advertising is one in which when a business is doing well, they might be able to afford higher costs in advertising. Whereas now it's more, not saying one shouldn't advertise, but each business owner would have to find a balance as to really the costs and benefits of the advertising for the time being.
0: Well, William, I I, I would think that uh, given the help, you've got 200 accountants uh, working really hard and keeping businesses afloat and preparing for when the pandemic subsides, I would think that you're part psychologist in there as well, because if I'm a small business owner, I've, I've been hit. And not only have I been hit, but some of my closest colleagues, my employees have been hit. I mean, there's just enough misery to go around. Are you getting a feeling as we seem to move out of this pandemic that people in small business are feeling a little better? I think in general, we are. I mean, I think we're in
1: phase two and slowly moving to the phase three of reopening. So say the hospitality restaurant industry, foods and beverages, we are seeing that most business owners have adapted to this. And as we slowly open, some install plexiglass or really hands-free menu items. So those are adjustments to their normal operations to kind of adapt to it, just to start seeing a Revenue growth or revenue recovery again.
0: I'm Manny Bazunas. You're listening to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. Joined this hour by William Tam. William is a principal with Manning Elliott, a full service accounting firm. ManningElliott.com. ManningElliott.com. Or you can call William directly 604 895 8598. 604 895 8598. Did all businesses suffer a decline in value during this pandemic, William?
1: I would say not all again, different industries I mean, to be fair, some businesses actually thrived in this pandemic a few i mean they are bigger businesses, but a few that comes to mind would be say online retail stores. the first one that comes to mind, Amazon. And others, I mean, retailers such as grocers are doing pretty well, just given the demand for the necessities such as food and other sanitation. So another industry I would feel has thrived in this pandemic are sanitation and cleaning services for businesses and homes, if you will.
0: Well, your company has been around since 1952, Manning Elliott I don't recall, I was born in 53, and I don't recall uh, during all those years that we've had quite what we're facing now. Uh, With all the experience at Manning Elliott, uh, did any of the partners, uh, any of the group of people that are working hard to keep these small and medium-sized businesses afloat, did they look back historically and say, okay, what have we done in the past to help our clients?
1: So, typically a good first step is to take a look at what was done historically to kind of plan for the future. However, that being said, with this pandemic, it is unique in the sense that the last, so to speak, recession we've experienced, the 08-09 financial meltdown, it's quite a different beast than what we're experiencing today, given that this is more of a health-related shutdown as opposed to a financial meltdown. So it is a very different approach and granted we do advise our clients basically always to look back into their operations and right now really see the most important step is really rather being reactive to the situation to be proactive in thinking what will the business operations look like six months down the road, a year down the road and really and we do assist in helping our clients prepare forecasts as well to kind of plan out what will happen so that there aren't any surprises down the road that would be felt in such a way that would be negative.
0: Well, there have been a plethora of government subsidies uh, helping out small and medium-sized businesses. William, uh, that changes the accounting structure in of itself, does it not? Um, One thing we...
1: Do, we did implement just to help our clients with relation to say the wage subsidy program is that um our tax group is really focused on all the new pronouncements from the government in canada and then really providing a service to our clients if they need assistance with to apply for these programs and plans as well
0: well i've tried to navigate some of the government sites uh, on behalf of a friend of mine who's a small business owner and, uh, boy, it was a disaster. I, <laughs> yeah. I just I just couldn't figure it out. We tried our best. We were successful with some and not so successful with others, which is why I think it's uh, really encouraging to know that there's a a group of professionals at Manning Elliott that will help steer you through that maze. William Tam, a principal with Manning Elliott. ManningElliott.com. ManningElliott.com. 604 895 859 Eight, Manning Elliott, uh, one of the most prestigious accounting and valuation firms. When we talk about valuation, what exactly are we talking about, William?
1: So for business valuations, it's a specialty. So I personally did my professional accounting, the CPA uh, program, way back in 2003. And then afterwards, I focused and transitioned to the valuations practice, which is a separate designation and a separate institution that recognizes for evaluators across Canada, the CBB program. In essence, what we do is we help value businesses, i.e. what the shares of a business is worth. Typically what situations that calls for a need for such evaluation is when there's a marital or a shareholder dispute or separation we would go in to assess what the owner's shares are worth in that situation for them to either split the value of the spouse or the spouse's net worth for matrimonial purposes. And in terms of a shareholder dispute, say, hypothetically, there's two shareholders. Um, after five years in business, they decide that they can't work with each other anymore and one wants out. In essence, what we're going in as is valuing what that exiting shareholders' shares are worth, so that either the company could buy back those shares, or the other shareholder could offer to the exiting shareholder a price in terms of money well, to buy them out.
0: Yeah. Well, let me let me not questioning the integrity of the process. But if there are two shareholders, um, do you act as a, a third-party arm's length for both, or are you hired by one or the other? It depends on the situation. I've personally done both. And either
1: way, it doesn't. we are still bound by our own professional ethics and duty to act with integrity independently so that we're not biased or skewed one way over the other. Because at the end of the day, it really falls down to It's two different parties relying on one conclusion. So our assistance or role is really to act as a neutral party so that there wouldn't be any bias that benefits one at the cost of the other.
0: Okay, we're going to take a breath here, uh, William, and uh, pay a few bills and come back. Got a lot more to cover (laughs) with uh, William Tam, a principal with Manning Elliott, one of the most prestigious accounting firms in the nation. ManningElliott.com, ManningElliott.com. 604-895-8598. 604-895-8598. Dot com 895 8598 604 8598 Continuing our conversation, William, a principal with Manning Elliott. ManningElliott.com. ManningElliott.com. Manning Elliott, been around since 1952. 200 accountants and various other professionals in that company working hard to keep Small and business, small and medium-sized businesses, uh, certainly afloat during this pandemic, but also, William, as you mentioned in our first segment, uh, preparing these businesses for a grand reopening.
1: Yes. Um, so, in essence, it's really given that we're slowly opening up, and more, we see more and more businesses taking down, especially in downtown, taking down their boards. It's really just to prepare most business owners what's to come in terms of their financial operations and really to take a very neutral aspect in view of what is most likely going to happen with the businesses in the next six to 12 months so that business owners wouldn't be shocked and at least they'll be well prepared as much as possible.
0: Well, William, the- over the last few weeks, uh, we've interviewed a variety of uh, very high-powered professionals in the real estate industry, in the legal industry, in the estate planning industry. And now you in the accounting industry. And to a person, they have suggested that the best thing to do to recover, not only survive, but certainly recover, uh, coming out of this pandemic, is preparation, preparation preparation, and you've touched on it. You also mentioned in the first segment that there has been a decline in value of uh, certain business sectors. Are there any positives coming out from a decline in business value? Well, I
1: wouldn't necessarily call it a positive per se, but I would say that a silver lining coming out of this pandemic, especially if the business was negatively impacted, is that there are opportunities for some business owners to think about estate planning and tax planning in transitioning their business, say, to their next of kin or next generation. So historically, just to expand a bit on that, is historically, say, a business owner who's run their business and wants it to be a family or a legacy company, in essence, they started it, grew it well over the last, say, 10, 15, 20 years. And now that they're thinking, maybe it's time to take it easy or essentially think about retirement. And perhaps the son or daughter would like to take over that business and keep it going forward. Historically, what we would do, at least um, our tax professionals would do, is start thinking of the tax planning strategies available so that the business owner could at least minimize their taxes owing, estate taxes, in essence, And essentially, any growth in the business would benefit the future generation. So with a decline in business, what that means is, in a tax planning scenario, we would always determine the fair market value of the business. So when there's a decline in this fair market value, that would also translate to a lesser tax bill at the end of the day. So given the decline in business, now would be a potential good time for most business owners if they're thinking of transitioning the business to think about these tax planning strategies available.
0: So I take it there's a a very direct correlation between a a decline in the value of business and the decline in what you have to pay in tax. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes simple sense. I'm not even a CA like you. (laughs) Uh, For business owners looking to sell or transition their businesses, is now a good time over and above uh, the possible savings in tax?
1: So I would think typically it would fall on the unique goals of the business owners themselves and really what they want. If the business owners feel like, granted, I'm I'm saying this for most businesses that have a decline in value, and if they want to sell to a third party, now might not be the best of time because they'll get pretty much less money for the business. However, if they are planning to transition their business to, say, their children, now would be a good time given the fact that any future growth, say, when the economy recovers back to what we've experienced over the last five years or so, the growth that arises from this recovery, will be transferred to their children so that their children can benefit from this growth. Yeah, gotcha. And ultimately, mm-hmm. the business owners would pay less tax right now based on that decline in value.
0: Yeah, so now now might be the time then to transition to uh, the next generation. You're listening to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. William Tam is a principal with Manning Elliott, a full-service accounting firm. Manning ManningElliott.com dot com, 604 8598 I grew up in a small business, family business, William, and when we sold it, one of the things that we tried to convince our valuation expert like yourself was that there was a ton of goodwill in that business. How do you measure goodwill in a small or medium-sized business and put a value on it?
1: So that's the specialty of the valuations, and it's a great question, Manny. So in goodwill, what we usually classify, we differentiate between commercial goodwill and personal goodwill. The commercial goodwill is what we call it's transferable to the next business owner or the buyer of the business. Personal goodwill is something that's non-transferable. Say an example of personal goodwill or value to the owner themselves would be, if I ran a small business, I get to dictate my store hours or when I work. That's personal goodwill, that's not transferable simply because someone else might not perceive the value that the current business owner sees as having value in and on itself. Commercial goodwill, on the other hand, includes items such as business processes in place, a trained workforce, brand name and brand recognition and whether it's recognized within the community and products that are well adapted and people say I would purchase Tylenol versus a generic brand because Tylenol's brand elicits a sense of, at least in my opinion, safety or trust. So those are what we call commercial goodwill. It's intangible in the sense that you can't touch it or feel it, not like, say, cash. But that's something that goes above and beyond whatever the balance sheet might indicate as the assets in the company.
0: What about, for example, a customer list? I mean, some customers will stay with you and others will say, well, you know, I got used to working with William Tam over there. And now you got me working with Manny Bazunas. Well, I, I like William. I'll take my business somewhere else.
1: You know what, Manny, I have a feeling you're a valuator yourself. <laughs> but yes, customer relationships is a very good example of what an intangible asset is, which in essence will group as part of goodwill. So, and that's a great example in the sense that if the customer relationship falls with the owner as opposed to the business, then... Typically, the new buyer would not pay for that relationship simply because they can't have it. A great example would be, say, a real estate agent. They have their connections with their customers directly, and if another real estate agent buys this company, they wouldn't get this client relationship.
0: Yeah, I can I can see a not paying for goodwill. For example, you mentioned store hours. Well, Manny might want to work nine to five, uh, the next owner might want to work nine to four. So uh, there is that uh, that that very concrete item in that particular list. William Tim is joining us on this edition of Vancouver Consumer here at CKNW. William's a principal with Manning Elliott, a full service accounting firm here in Vancouver. ManningElliott.com, 604 895 six zero four eight nine five eighty five. 98. You've got two partners in a business. After five years, as you mentioned in segment one, William, they decide they can't do business together, so they come to you and say, William, we've decided to uh, part ways. My partner thinks the business is worth this, and I think it's worth this. Do you basically saw it off in the middle, or how do you come to some conclusion where everybody leaves happy?
1: Although I do wish it was that simple, so typically what valuations involves is a review of the company's operations and, in essence, financial statements. And we would discuss typically in this situation where both parties have opposing interests, we would have a three-way discussion to understand the business as a first piece. And then really our role is to determine what would an external party, a third party, come in to buy either those shares or the company at. So the purpose of the valuation is really to determine a fair, independent opinion value of conclusion to indicate what A, the company is worth, and B, what that shareholder's interest is worth.
0: Would it be the same in a personal situation, say a a marital split where both partners uh, own shares in a company or I guess the list could go on, but is it the same sort of application process you apply in a marital situation as you would put in a professional situation, a business, for example?
1: Yes. So the there are unique uh, deviations in terms of say the report and who the audience is, but in terms of the valuation process itself, um, typically what we do, similar to say financial statements, and ex- your Every business owner's accountant prepares either what we call a notice to reader, which has the lowest level of assurance. It's still a financial statement, but the conclusion doesn't have a high level of corroboration of facts, for example. A review financial statement, which, is, which has a higher level of assurance, and then the highest level being the audit. In evaluation report, we also have these three unique different reports what we call a calculation valuation, which has the lowest level of assurance, an estimate valuation, which has a medium level of assurance, and then the highest level of being called a comprehensive. And granted, each report, the disclosures and circumstances are catered towards what the situation is. In terms of a matrimonial situation, typically we prepare an estimate level, simply because the courts, the judge, and the lawyers are relying on this value to, in essence, I wouldn't say negotiate, but in essence determine what the value of, sakes one spouse's shares are worth in the company.
0: Well, doesn't it always apply that the seller wants it to be worth more than the buyer?
1: Yes. So there is a clear... I wouldn't say bias, but need in which the seller would always want a higher price. The buyer would always want a lower price. in essence, our role is really to come to a middle ground and determine what a fair value would be in these circumstances so that neither party wins or loses.
0: Well, that uh, sounds great, William. Like I say, I'm I'm sure you act as part psychologist when you're in some of these meetings, (laughs) when you're trying to figure out a value and you're meeting with the shareholders in the two or three minutes we've got left. uh, What is the best piece of free advice on this radio program that you can give? either a married couple or a couple who is deciding to split the assets of their property or business, and the business person who is looking to transition, can you give us a a sort of a 30-second or one-minute overview of what they should do first?
1: I would say for, say, a marital split, the first is really to have available the historical financial statements of the company and also the personal tax return records because both the lawyers and myself would always review the financial information first before we really go into the process. And in essence, typically, and it will always be asked, is really to really estimate if there's any personal expenses to be aware of those expenses, as granted both the lawyers and myself will ask, what these personal expenses are. And for my purpose, it's more to determine what a normal level of earnings would be for a company if say it sold to a third party. So what we define as a fair market value.
0: Well, I guess the uh, to wrap it up, uh, William, uh, get the documents together and in order before you send them over to William and his team. William Tam, a principal with Manning Elliott, a full-service accounting firm here in Vancouver. ManningElliott.com. ManningElliott.com. 604-895-8598. 604-895-8598. 98. I'm Manny Bazunas. You're listening to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Time now for another edition of Ask Andrew. Andrew Ferrara, our executive producer here at Vancouver Consumer. Are you a camper, biker, or otherwise an outdoor enthusiast? Andrew.
2: When I was younger, yeah. And then I went to college. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> then i went to college and that just yeah, about seven uh,
0: you got stuck in the pub <laughs> yeah, exactly
2: and uh, the beer gut is never going away now uh, but no it, it, in in the weird times that we're living in right now and i'll bef- preface it i've also thought about this but uh bikes are getting harder and harder to find if you're in the market for one if you're looking to rent one if you're looking to buy one uh, if you're looking for an electric one a recumbent one you know uh a scooter uh, one of those neat little electric motorcycles that only goes like 30 kilometers an hour, so you don't need a license for those. I think actually those ones are actually the ICBC actually wrote up not too long ago about how those are technically illegal, but that's another story for another time. Uh, bikes have been flying off the shelves. Uh, business in Vancouver spoke to um the assistant manager of Sporting Life in Burnaby, uh, Rebecca Brownridge. And uh, to quote her, the bike industry is booming, to say the least. Apparently stores are calling her because they're running out of stock and she's calling stores because they're running out of stock Uh, with the way that everything is and people kind of wanting to avoid crowded places, avoid unnecessary contact with people. A lot of people who have taken transit are starting to look at bikes as an alternative way to get around. And I don't blame them. It's healthy. Uh, the lower mainland here, for the most part, unless you live on the North Shore, uh, you might need an electric bike to get up some of those hills. For the most part, we live in a place that's relatively easy to bike, and the weather is generally fairly nice for most of the year. So bike season is quite long in British Columbia compared to your Toronto's of the world. Uh, so that's one thing that's, I think, really good that's happening is starting to see more people uh, interested in in being active and using mobility as a way to be active and not just, you know, I'm going to hit the gym and then that'll be it uh, because I can't really even do gyms right now. So people are starting to find that the outdoors might actually work as a gym. And as for the outdoors, uh, you may remember when the camping system went down due to the flux of people trying to get in for uh, their camping reservations. Uh, A lot of people have spent a lot of time being pent up inside and they want to get out there Uh, outdoor supply shops are also starting to really see uh, a lot of people going for stuff like BB guns, airsoft pistols, camping equipment, knives, the kind of thing that maybe you might picture kids in the 50s or 60s, you know, going out and spending their days with not. Uh, young folks in uh, the year 2020 but the pandemic is making fools of us all and so here we are Uh, medical grade masks and bandanas are also flying off the shelves and even in a deep cove uh, kayak lessons and rentals are back but however uh, bookings are staggered they're asking you to take online reservations instead so you can plan your time out and all lessons comply with physical distancing as they need to so as things start to slowly ever so slowly open up Uh, The outdoors is opening up, and if you're, you know, lucky enough to be able to get yourself a bike, if you can find one, uh, or get out there and spend some time with uh, your very close family or a select few number of friends, let's not go overboard here, uh, I encourage you to go out and take a look. We live in a gorgeous part of the country, and summer is now. It's happening, so get out there.
0: Well, I think one of the reasons we're seeing more bikes on the road, I think people feel safer because there are fewer cars That's also true. Yeah, and I I think that they've overcome this safety issue and say, okay, fewer cars, it's safer... For me to ride my bike, I'm going to go buy one, plus, of course, the exercise. So uh, thank you, Andrew, (laughs) always. Uh, Ask Andrew, Andrew Ferrer, our executive producer here at Vancouver Consumer. I'm Manny Bazunas. We'll see you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.